all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators and honored to be so. I've had over 45 years experience in uh, fire investigations as an expert and I have been lucky enough to, to, to meet and have a bunch of friends all over the world and we've got a couple of them here today. And this is Donna Ingram. I have almost 30 years of experience in fire and fraud and a past director of the International. And welcome to Speaking of Fire. Yes, and thank you, Donna. And uh, we have today, we're we're lucky to have um, a very experienced uh, investigators and uh, we both have, and also a public information officer for the um, ATF. Uh, First, we'll go with uh, John Hamm. John Hamm is a um, as a as a uh, public information officer with the ATF and a, and an agent. Uh, in fact, he's uh, he's not here in the studio because he's out actually working. Hello, John. How are you, Mike? How are you? Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for being there. We also have uh, David Dice, who is uh, with the Kansas City, uh, Missouri Fire Department. Uh, he had worked previously in other fire departments and worked his way up as a fire inspector and then investigator in 2003. And he um, conducts an average of 300 fire investigations per year. So you've looked at a couple of fires, haven't you? There? A few. Yes, sir. And thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. All right. We also have a have, have a bomb and arson uh, detective, Brian Job. Uh, he's been with uh, Kansas City, Missouri Police since 2001. He's worked in homicide and arson. Um, he's he's got a bomb uh, detection uh, canine, which is out in the truck and uh, <laughs> and uh, he's, he's out in the car. He's not. Uh, he didn't bring him in because. Uh, I guess he didn't want him to star on the show, and so um, and he was uh, also worked at a sheriff's department uh, uh, and uh, at previously uh, he was with the Army National Guard um, and he um, he was deployed to the Lake City Ammunition Plant after 9/11 to support the operations Noble Light um, Noble Eagle I'm sorry Operation Noble Eagle. Thank you for being here, Brian. Thank you, Mike, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Right. And thank you for your service. Thank yes, you very much. So much. Uh, and so, uh, John, we're going to talk about, um, I, I appreciate your calling in. You, you're in Iowa, right, at the moment, aren't you? Yes, sir. And well, you, you just did a big conference up there, what, what, a news conference. What were you doing up there? No, I'm, uh, I'm working, um, supporting our guys that uh, are in the Des Moines office today. And so, um, mm-hmm. it, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's always when you, when you cover four states with, with one with one media guy, uh, you get a lot of windshield time. <laughs> I bet you do. Well, so you're the guy that gets to go on TV and the radio when when uh, when there's an incident or when you're trying to explain what the latest uh, procedures are. Is that correct? That's right. All right. So you on when? Um, at, see, uh, I've been around a little while, so um, uh, part of the time, uh, one of one of the uh, things that. Uh, we really appreciate is uh, 
cooperation of ATF with the local um, fire and police departments all over the country. And um, so I would want you to say one thing, if you would, uh, John, sure. about your national response team uh, that, that comes out when they're called. Well, our national response team is, is a unique thing within, uh, within the country and really within the world. Um, ATF is the only federal law enforcement um, agency that has any kind of fire or arson jurisdiction um, that is that is solely ours. Um, certainly, other agencies can investigate the crime depending on what caused it. But uh, as far as fire investigation goes, we're the only federal agency that does that. And so, over the years, we have turned that into. Um, a situation where we have developed some of the best fire investigators uh, in the country, and the the idea behind the national response team was to bring to to have the ability to bring in uh, very seasoned fire ex- fire investigation experts uh, and to get them anywhere in the country within 24 hours when there's a major fire that needs to be investigated, a major explosion that needs to be investigated. Um, and so on that team, it typically deploys with about 25 people. You've got ATF certified fire investigators, certified explosive specialists, uh, and then you have fire research specialists. You've got uh, forensic chemists. You've got electrical engineers. So all of that, and then you've got folks that are that are highly trained in um, in uh, computerized uh, digital mapping and and those types of things, and so we're able to send send a national response team, like I said, anywhere in the country. It's completely self-supportive. Um, but the whole idea behind our national response team is that we don't come over and come into your jurisdiction and take over an investigation. We come in, we bring our expertise, we bring our, our resources, uh, and we work right alongside you to determine the cause. That's terrific, and I know that uh, a lot of the agencies throughout the country have used you, and I know that you, your, your national response team goes to high-profile stuff like the West Texas when that uh, blew up, the big explosion there. And when there's a, a, a lot of fatalities, uh, you guys are always there. Um, I worked one recently where, where your people were, uh, well, I've worked a couple of them, the, the large downtown L.A. fire uh, there was a hundred hundred million dollars, and then the one in Bothell, Washington, which is another eighty million. I know that you guys are there because uh, I'm there, uh, and uh, and uh, I felt sorry for you guys in L.A. because it rained for a whole week, and they had to dig everything out. It was terrible. And I saw one of them that said, "Oh my, I thought I thought it was going to break my back, man." So anyway, so you guys work. They would rather be digging in the dirt than anything else. So they are uh, they're they're very good at what they do. Well, I, you know this guy that's sitting here, these two guys that are sitting here with me, don't you, John? You know David I know him, I know them both very well. I've got stories to tell on both of them, but none are appropriate for radio. Well, it's, they're all lies. They're yeah, all lies. It's all, yeah, the truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah, well, okay, well, well David, the, the, now you, um, the, you've been working all these fires all these years, and how, you've been with, what, Kansas City since 2003, right? I've been with them as an investigator for 2003. I started with them actually in 1998. Right, and so, and during that time, you've worked all these fires. Now, on occasion, you've had, uh, you've had an opportunity to call the ATF in to assist. Is that correct? Yes. I've actually worked on three different call-outs with the uh, ATF 
NRT team here in Kansas City. Yeah, and in fact, uh, you guys work, uh, what, what we have here in Kansas City, which is I wish we had more of throughout the country, was a great cooperation between uh, the, the fire department and the, and the police department's bomb and arson unit, which uh, Brian will talk to about in a moment, but uh, where, where they, they mutually, they go to the scenes, they make decisions. They, uh, you guys, uh, David, you're the ones that actually um, decide together whether or not to call in ATF, right? Well, initially, we, we respond to the incident. We determine whether we're going to need police bomb and arsons assistance. That's the case. We notify them. They respond. Then it's a mutual decision to call out the ATF. Right. And we're, we're unfortunate uh, enough in Kansas City where we had lost a couple of firefighters. Yes. Uh, in, in, uh, we're on, uh, down on Independence Avenue. Uh, and and there was a decision made by you guys then uh, to uh, uh, to call in the ATF. Uh, in fact, uh, Brian, you were uh, you were in homicide. You you and I uh, share something. I don't know if you know this or not, but when I was a police uh, officer and detective in the county in St. Louis, uh, different municipalities, I I had worked homicide and then arson and homicide and then arson. So so sometimes they go hand in hand. Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> they are the same thing. But but you uh, you worked homicide and were working homicide when that thing happened, wasn't it? Yes, I was the uh, one of the on-call detectives that evening for. Uh, uh, for the homicide unit and was unfortunate to get that call to go down and assist uh, the fire department and the police, the bomb and arson unit with the investigation. Right. And so, and it was that a uh, situation where, um, where you guys jointly decided to call in the assistance of the ATF? Yes, it was. That, that was actually an early call, early decision. The fire was actually still active when that, the decision was made to request them. And John, do, uh, well, you're there, and, and uh, I imagine the procedure is pretty straightforward to get you guys involved, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're set up um, so that, and there's, there's really the, the criteria is, you know, a major dollar loss or, or loss of life or certainly a loss of a, uh, of a public servant. Uh, and and so those decisions are usually jointly made in the in the Kansas City fire that you're referring to on Independence Avenue. Um, we were actually notified and and we're at the scene pretty quickly with the fire one of the fire investigators that we have here in our local office, as well as uh, as a couple of other agents. And then all ATF agents are trained in fire investigation um, and explosive investigation, but our our fire investigators uh, go through a, a really rigorous two-year training program, and and so uh, they become our subject matter experts. And um, so we had a response uh, to that fire, um, like you said, when when it was it was still burning, um, and uh, that was a that was a joint decision uh, that was made. You know, we certainly offered offered the resources, and uh, it was an honor to do so. Okay, well, uh, it, um, well, this is what I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, Brian. You, you're, a, you're a police officer, and uh, ATF is a Department of Justice and stuff. Um, and you guys uh, work together when you, and you too, David, when, in that particular instance. Now, do you guys actually, I know the NRT team comes in, right? Yes. And then do you work hand-in-hand hand with them then? Yes, depending on the situation, uh, just like the Independence Avenue fire, uh, we had detectives with the police department embedded with the ATF agents, assisting with the interviews, 
assisting with the area canvases, uh, doing everything with them as far as the investigative case uh, side by side with them. All right. And uh, David, what about your... your, your we, we were actively involved with it. Uh, typically, whenever we bring out the bomb and arson unit on a situation like this, their, their arson detectives work hand in hand with us who work hand in hand with the ATF. Right, and so, and what I really like about that is that not only the cooperation we have not only with the federal government, and, and John said it very clearly, but let's reiterate this. Some people watch TV, and they, they only get all their information out of the, uh, of the movies, right. and they think that if the ATF comes in, well, then automatically you guys are stonewalled out. You get to go sit in the corner while they do everything, and is that... Is that That's the, what's 100% wrong. We're The fire department, police department, we are... We are actively involved in that investigation. I, I agree. Um, I, I have a 10 years in narcotics, which most of that was uh, working with our federal partners and then working here with the ATF. That is absolutely not true. Um, it's a team effort, and they bring resources to the table. Um, you know, it's a two-way street. We need each other, and uh, everyone always comes together, and that uh, TV definitely portrays it wrong. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. And, uh, and, and uh, John, um, your your agents um, now uh, now also get IAAI CFI. Uh, I know that they that they're doing that, and I, the IAAI appreciates that uh, that they're going to be there. Uh, we're going to be there for them too. Um, we what's really good about that is that uh, everybody is networking together, get to know each other. Us, now, I'm a private invest, a fire investigator. You know that, John. Right. But, uh, we, um, we also, uh, under the Arson Immunity Acts, uh, you know, in, the, in every state has one, we can, uh, we can cooperate uh, in investigations um, by, we can get things sometimes quicker uh, through the uh, insurance agencies and, and different kind of um, uh well, there's a thing called an examination under oath sometimes uh, where, where they take sworn statements from people. So, so uh, you know, we can cooperate with you, too. And we've always found the cooperation with uh, Kansas City, Missouri and, and, and with the ATF everywhere um, 100%. So I just wanted to let you know that the, fire, the private people support you also. Now, um, let's talk about what happens in... Um, in a in a let's let's we can't we got to get away from that that uh, Independence Avenue thing because that's still in litigation so we're going to get away from there, uh, but uh, in the past um, you've uh, David we'll we'll go with you in the past you said you had been uh, with three NRT teams right and yes the, yes um, can you can you tell us about a case that um, that was already done it's litigation's over and that ATF was about yes the Hereford House fire go ahead. That was a fire. I was actually on duty that night. We got the call as a reported explosion and fire. Got there. Yes, we, we did have some a small explosion in the building, but uh, I notified our bomb and arson detective that was on duty. He responded. Our chief of the department was there because of the, the historical value of that structure. He, it was decided by him to notify the ATF. Mm-hmm. And uh, we put our heads together, for lack of a better term, and decided that we were going to need an NRT call out. And it, it worked well. We all worked hand in hand. Uh, everybody was involved with the investigation, the determination of the, the origin and the cause of that fire. And as 
far as the prosecution went, we were all involved with that also. Right, and did we, and I think it was before you were on, isn't it, Brian? Yeah, that was before my time. Yeah, what was fun about that, I worked it too. I worked it from the private side. So uh, uh, Alex Kanan worked the restaurant. I worked the hotel, mm-hmm. which was attached, if you remember. Anyway, the what was fun about that was uh, uh, people are in the, in the world are not familiar with it, but we are. Yes. Uh, that was an, an old uh, historic restaurant that burned down. It had been sold and to another person and, and it burned down. But when they burned down, the, the new owner uh, was thrown around by the the manager and stuff and he was shown where the videotaping machines uh were Correct. Only, only there were two sets one was phony in case there was a burglary and the other one was the real one yes very so, much so so they would so they ended up having videotapes of of this later this guy gets in financial problems and so later he takes the guys around and he's showing them uh he's showing them how where he wants to fire set up and then then of course they have i think the most fun the fun part of that was when they put it on tv and they show one of the arsonists looking directly into the camera yes that was that was that was uh the best part of that investigation is when he looked up into the security camera <laughs> it's great and people were actually not only the owner but uh some other people were um convicted of that weren't they and yes they were and they're currently serving time yes they are so here's the here's the message about that if you're going to commit a fire if you're going to start a fire an incendiary fire they're going to come get you and, they're and don't going, look at the camera and don't look at the camera but yet that was dumb. Okay, so, but John, you were, uh, were you involved in that one? Uh, I was. That was before I was uh, in the uh, public information officer role, but I think um, I think Dave made an important point. Um, he said earlier when he was describing that, 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 I think he said, Dave, that we all put our heads together, and um, through the years, that has been something that, um, you know, we talked a little bit about cooperation amongst agencies and how sometimes that's not always accurately portrayed. But one of the big benefits of, of that in the real world is just because we have different letters on, our, on the backs of our, of our jackets or a different patch, um, that doesn't mean that we haven't all had a, a career's worth of experience. And uh, oftentimes, particularly in fire investigation, you know, the more eyes that you have on it and the, the more ideas that you have uh, about what needs to come next in the investigation, the better that investigation is. Sometimes it, it, it is not a, well, it's never, fire investigation is never a quick thing. Um, it, or, you know, if it's done, done well and done correctly, rarely is it a quick thing. But again, you know, we we want to make sure that it's done right, and I think that we get there many times because we incorporate uh, everyone into that process, and and we do all put our heads together. I thought that was that was very well said, and we we're all looking at the same thing from through through the lenses of different experiences and and different training, um, and it makes for a very solid investigation. And that brings us to this. I want to ask each of you individually. I'll start with you, Brian. What what got you interested in arson investigation? Well, when I initially first started my law enforcement career, I was a uh, volunteer firefighter in a small town uh, back in southwest Kansas. And then running the trucks and working fires uh, just kind of sparked an interest that has grown uh, throughout my law enforcement career. And working at Kansas City, I had the opportunity to 
do it full time. Uh, so I took it, and it's it's been a whirlwind, but it's been a great experience. And I specifically said arson investigation with you because you're law enforcement, and that is the interest when Casey Mo's pulled in. Yes, is to that. Now I'm going to ask you the same thing, David. Well, I started out as a firefighter um, and just worked up through my career. And I got to the point where I wanted to move into the investigation side of firefighting or fire suppression, fire industry, however you want to term mm-hmm. put it. And I've, I enjoy going out. It, to me, it's, it's like John said, it's putting a puzzle back together. Mm-hmm. And that's what I truly enjoy is going out to these fire scenes and and trying to piece the whole thing back together the way it was before the fire to determine what happened to cause that fire. Exactly. And sometimes it ends up we have a crime that occurred. Mm-hmm. So that's what brought me into it was just the, the fact that I'm putting things back together. And how about you, John? Uh, well, I'm here by virtue of uh, of working for ATF, and um, you know I'm not a fire investigator by trade. I I get to talk about the the experts that do it, which is uh, one of the most rewarding things I've done in my career. Um, but uh, you know it is it is putting a puzzle together, and you know ATF looks at a lot of fire scenes that are, that are not arsons. Uh, if, if we're called in to to help with the origin and cause, then we're going to, to the best of our ability, determine what that is. And, you know, I think there's a side of that that's just as rewarding uh, if it is something that can be publicized and, and whether that be through, uh, through professional organizations or through, through the media, that, you know, if we found the cause of a fire that uh, is something that we can warn other people against, that we can educate the fire service on, those types of things, um, I think that that has as much of a of an impact on us as as putting the bad guy in jail because we know that we're taking care of of people and particularly taking care of our first responders. Yes, with you having a national scope, you're able to, uh, you get a lot of information from all over the country that can be shared. Correct. Well, yeah, and we we incorporate our uh, fire research laboratory in that it's a you know it's a state of the art sort of one of a kind facility, um, and and that's another benefit to national response team or any kind of investigation where where we're involved. We have access to to a lot of um, to a lot of resources behind us. But you know when we can um, when we can take a fire when we can research that fire through the fire laboratory. And uh, and publish something that way, absolutely. It's it's very rewarding. Well, thank you for doing that. If I might, Mike, we going back to the Hereford House fire real quick. We didn't. We when we walked into that thing blind, we thought we were going to be just dealing with an accidental fire at first until we started digging through it. Sure. And most fires are uh, that we all uh, we all investigate are, are not uh, not set fires. Correct. You know, most of them are, are some other thing, you know, some product problem, or some accident that somebody does, or some shall we say not the smartest decision Correct. made, and that'll cause a fire too. Um, and so we're really lucky to to talk to you guys because. Uh, we're going to, we not only that, but we not only do we have the, the fire expertise and the media guy, but we got this guy here that wants to play with bombs. So <laughs> I, now I've never understood that because, and, he, and you can't see him, but he honestly looks sane. 
And, uh, and That's the first one. Well, yeah, that is a stretch, Mike. <laughs> well, I, I realize you know him. See, they don't see him. I, I can make it up. We're going to put his face on the Internet, though, so oh, that he'll be able to see his face. But anyway, but uh, I, what I learned when I was in police work was uh, call the bomb squad. I mean, if you thought there was a bomb, you call the bomb squad and then you go like two blocks down the street and sit there and have a cup of coffee. That's what you're supposed to do. No, our, our, our crowd control, something. But you put on those big, heavy uh, bomb suits and you've and you got a dog. You, you've got, I know you've got a robot. So we've got, we got an array of tools that we have access to to, yeah. to work with. So, so the, the long stick that I used to have to poke, this, that wasn't a good idea? Well, it's a, it's a good technique, but it's not an approved technique. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so we like to employ. Yes, yes, that's right. So when we come back, uh, and we come back from our break, which will be in about a minute, um, when, when we come back, we want to talk to you about your dog, okay. your bomb dog. What's his name? Dennis. Dennis, yeah. I want to find out where Dennis came from. <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, what would possess a guy who is relatively sane uh, to get into one of those big suits and then go out and, and poke on things or do whatever you have to do. <laughs> so um, if you will, uh, please uh, come back because we've, I've given you the teaser now. If you want to hear about Dennis... Or you want to hear about why people play with bombs? Come back. And when you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at FCIFire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlappman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Yes, and uh, now as a, a man of my word, I'm going to turn to to Brian Job, and he's going to talk about. First, we're going to talk about his bomb detection dog, Dennis. Where did Dennis come from? Dennis is a two-year-old Belgian Malinois. Uh, he's from the country of Slovakia. Uh, he was imported to the United States by Bond Lake Kennels in Indiana, and he was imprinted as an explosive detection uh, canine up there. And uh, our unit was due for a new uh, explosives dog, and we went and picked out Dennis. He made the cut of our rigorous testing. Yeah, so now Dennis is, is not spelled as the Americans. No, it's, it's kind of unique. He has a dog actually has usually has a passport to be uh, brought over to the United States, and his name is spelled D E N I S. Maybe that's the European way of doing things. I'm not sure. Does he have a last name or is it Joe? Uh, sometimes Dennis the Menace. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> among among other. Uh, names, but uh, yeah, he's a very, very good dog. So, uh, so let's talk about that. A lot of people are not familiar with uh, with uh, with bomb dogs. What do they do? I mean, what? Do you, how do you you you, you work with bomb dog? If, uh, not only on suspicious packages, but actually at um, at uh, large gatherings and stuff. Right? Correct. Um, a lot, a lot of people in the mainstream, uh, in, in the in the public, think they say bomb dog. He actually smells bombs. He actually smells bomb components, right. um, which is uh, explosive components. So he, he's imprinted on a numerous uh, different substances. Um, when he uh, finds that substance or smells that substance, he gives me an indication that that substance is there. Um, we do do a, a wide range of uh, things with him. We work the Chiefs games. We work the Royals games, uh, VIP visits. We conduct bomb sweeps at the Sprint Center or wherever that uh, we're called on to do so. Right, and and um, unfortunately, we still have idiots in this country that uh, call up and do uh, false bomb threats. Uh, yes. Yeah, schools and, and other public activities. Uh, uh, and uh, you work, uh, well, if you have like a, if you have something like a large gathering, like, um, you know, like a rock concert that's in the public space, you'll, you'll be uh, there. You know, with like the, the lighting of the lights on the plaza, uh-huh. um, anything high profile, or if the, the management of that concert or event wants to have a sweep done, they will contact us. Right, that's great. That's a good idea. And that's not to be confused. He's not an accelerant detection. No, he's not. He's just strictly... Uh, Explosives. Okay. We do have an accelerant detection dog, mm-hmm. uh, but she d- does all but nothing but uh, accelerants. Right, right. We and, talked about that last week. Yeah, right. and and David, you have a when you work in concert with the with bomb and arson unit when the fire department. So do uh, do you um, work jointly also with the dog? You can you call the dog in, or you can call them in, and they'll bring the dog in. Who's well, decision? we we call the we call the on call detective in. And if we, between the two of us, decide we're going to need an accelerant detection canine, they make their call and bring that that handler and that dog in. Fantastic. And uh, and John, you're out there in in the hinterlands. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I haven't heard of. Does ATF have a bunch of accelerant detection canines themselves, or do they do it the locals? Because I know explosive explosives. Yeah, we uh, we do actually. The way that we run that program is uh, is sort of unique in federal law enforcement. We're, with our we have we have uh, explosive detection canines, 
and and um, that are also trained in ballistic uh, evidence recovery. Um, but those are assigned to uh, agents as the handlers. We have one in our division right now in, in St. Louis. But with our accelerant detection canines, we... Um, we train the dogs. We pay for the dogs' training. We pay for uh, the a, an agency to come out and be trained with the dog at our canine facilities in Fort Royal, Virginia. Um, and then we ATF funds that dog for that dog's life. Uh, and so we have several throughout uh, throughout the Midwest. Uh, right now, the closest one we had we had one with Kansas City Police Department for many many years. Uh, who, who retired when his uh, when his handler got promoted and left uh, left bomb and arson, but uh, right now we've got one with his Topeka Fire Department. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, two or three in in Iowa. Uh, we've got another with the Kansas State Fire Marshal's Office. So we've got ATF trained uh, and ATF um, uh, certified accelerant detection canines scattered throughout the country. Yeah, Rusty Allentine's dog, I think, in Topeka is the one. That's, that's right. Isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, and in so. fact, those guys uh, are always available to us. That's that's part of the commitment that they make to us for us providing them with the dog, um, and uh, we, we've had a we've had a lot of success with those dogs over the years. Well, that's, that's great. That is great. And Brian, so do you? Um, let's these big uh, these big gatherings and stuff do you uh, bring in other dogs to help i mean do they do more than one sometimes well the bomb and arson unit we have two uh, oh. explosive dogs with our canine unit they have other dogs that are cross-trained in narcotics and bomb detection oh. however they're also patrol dogs so they're social dogs they're good dogs but um, just for liability reasons we don't like to have them in crowds because they might it. latch on <laughs> <laughs> right whereas uh the bomb and arson dogs, they're single purpose. They're strictly just explosives, and their demeanor is a little bit different. Where they're around people, they're more social. They're not trained to bite. Um, it's not that they're mean dogs. It's just that's what they're trained to do. That's a game for them. Right, and uh, and I think that's great. I mean, I really do think that's great because I I, I do know because uh, I was when I was in the Air Force, I was with the Air Police and uh-huh. during the Vietnam era, uh, but I. They have they had sentry dogs, and sentry dogs were a little. They weren't as friendly as they would like did so to rip your arm off. Other than that, all you had to do is say the word. You know. Oh, yeah. you to, but now I want to go back to your dog for a second. Uh, does it speak English? <laughs> <laughs> Limit, I, limited words. I think he more uh, recognizes my tone. Oh, it's a tone. <laughs> but uh, the tone. he takes all his commands in Dutch. In Dutch. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say that, actually, that in, in there are dogs that I know specifically trained. You were talking about the the ones that respond and, and actually are, are to stop people. Yeah. That they train in different languages because they don't want the person that they're trying to yeah, seek to actually stop the dog with a command. Yeah, and in the, in the, the German language and the Dutch and the Czech they're they're shorter sharp uh, language mm-hmm. uh, the words and um, they're just more powerful mm-hmm. and it is people don't understand what you're saying too but mm-hmm. uh, plus the majority of our dogs in the United States come from Europe 
Yeah. So they're they're already trained in their native languages. And again, tell us what kind of dog it is because I, I missed it. I, I, I just didn't know it's a wife. He's a two-year-old Belgian Malinois. The Malinois look uh, similar to a German Shepherd. Mm-hmm. They're a little smaller, a little more compact. Uh, their drive is a lot higher. So his energy levels are out of this world. So I mean, really he is built to he is built to wake up in the morning and go to work. That's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what he loves to do is find that tennis ball is his reward. And he will knock over everything to get it. <laughs> so it's a play, he's a he's a play reward. He's dog. a reward, yeah. And and uh, John, your your dogs in uh, ATF trained are they are they both play and uh, and food reward or are they are just. I, uh, I think all of our dogs are uh, are food reward. I know that our um, that our explosive detection canines are, and I believe that is the same with our uh, accelerant detection canines. I just want to say to the general public, to, uh, for them to understand, it's something that uh, when I was first introduced to these dogs and thought, oh my gosh, you know, that's how they eat, that's how they play, that's my... These dogs are, are like horses. They enjoy working. This is what they like to do. These are happy dogs. They're well-fed. Um, they're, they're better cared for than a general, you know, run-of-the-mill dog. I mean, they, and they are happy to work. They're not in danger. Um, they're taking, I just want the general public before they go up in arms to understand. And even being exposed to fire scenes mm-hmm. and so forth, um, they've done studies. We had a, a handler on here not too long ago. And there has been no dogs that have been hurt um, in, in by going and sniffing out these scenes and all that. Well, that, that is what has surprised me from the fireside standpoint. You know, mm-hmm. walking a dog through a building that it's, you know, got nails poking up through it. You know, I'm surprised that we haven't had more complaints, for lack of a better word, about taking dogs into a hazardous right. environment. No, I, I'm sur- I was surprised to hear, but you know what he told me when this the sandler was Jason Ziff, uh, from, uh, Ziff from uh, mm-hmm. St. Joe. He's saying the the uh, the pads of the dogs, the, the paws, they're smart. That they're very smart because they touch and they're not going to step on anything sharp, right? Because uh, they're going to feel it and right. and, uh, they're, and they're very picky on what they're walking on. And you, of course, uh, uh, Brian, you would. Uh, you would, of course, not take your dog into a situation where you'd ex- uh, expect it to get hurt, right? Oh, no, not at all. Um, my dog is just what he is. He's a detection dog. Um, once he has detected something, we'll move out, and then we'll work it as a bond call. Right. Um, we don't send people up on suspicious packages so he can sniff it. That's We don't do that. Once it's been identified as hazardous, suspicious, or anything like that, We'll work it as a bomb call. Right. So, do you actually do that, or do you? There's one of your um, other detectives that comes in in the nice tabby suit. Then. No, my unit. Uh, there's seven of us and a sergeant, and we're all trained bomb pe- bomb technicians and certified fire investigators. So we do both sides of the house. Everybody's cross trained, um, and we work as a team doing that. 
So you have that shirt, if you see me running, try to keep up. Yeah, most definitely. (laughs) Especially if you see me running. (laughs) You're in trouble. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, and you know how hard it is to run in one of them suits. I think you try to do that, don't you? Yeah, but if I need to, I have to. That's a strange strange sight. Well, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives, they put an E on the end of the ATF. You forgot the bureau, so it's B T F. You got to get the alphabet right. I got it right. You know, those telephone numbers, man, you got to do them in the right order. You get to talk to the wrong people. Anyway, but uh, John, about the BATFE, talk to me about it, please. Uh, uh, They added explosives on the end, and why did they do that? Was that 9 11? Yeah, it, it was tied to 9-11. We've always had explosive jurisdiction in the United States since we were since we were formed. Um, there's two sides to ATF. A lot of people don't know that. There is, of course, the criminal investigative side, and then there is the regulatory side, and ATF has industry operations investigators that are charged with uh, regulating the firearms and explosives industry in the United States. A lot of people, uh, particularly in this day and age, when they hear explosives, they think of, of bombs and, and uh, criminal uh, use of explosives and those types of things. But you have to keep in mind that there are somewhere near 11,000 licensed, federally licensed explosive uh, users in the United States. And as you guys well know, if you're doing any type of, of construction work, particularly in this part of the country, you go down six, seven feet, and you're in limestone, and, the, and you're not going to dig through it. Um, and so explosives are an integral part of, uh, of, of a lot of industries in the United States, but particularly construction and road work and utility poles and all of those things that we're dependent on. And so we both uh, have, a, have a criminal responsibility there as uh, investigating the theft or loss or criminal use of explosives in in uh, non-terrorism related cases the FBI has the jurisdiction if it's a if it's a terrorism related case or we'll work it jointly um, and then we also like I said regulate the um, regulate the explosive industry and um, you know much of that is making sure that within the United States uh, commercial explosives are accounted for because uh, we certainly don't want them to uh, to fall into the wrong hands. Right. I know the ATF does a bunch of wonderful work in uh, regulating that. Um, and and uh, in fact, uh, I have a, a past ATF agent that now works with my company. And I want to tell you, uh, um, he has some great stories about uh, about some of the stuff that you guys do that cause uh, that uh, prevents. Uh, different kinds of accidents and things of that nature with uh, with explosives. Thanks, so David has it. yeah, David has a question. There's there's one other thing I'd like John to talk about, and that's the uh, ATS role in church fires. Oh yeah, sure. Oh sure, uh, David, and, and you and I have been on several of those together. Um, but uh, ATF has has a jurisdiction uh, to investigate fires at uh, at houses of worship. And um, and so when we're notified um, that there's been a fire at a church or or a, or a mosque, um, any type of religious um, house of worship, ATF comes in and investigates that fire, and that's that is a uh, an authority that was given to us through Congress in the middle 1990s, I believe, um, and it. Um, 
you know, there there are a lot of one of the things that happens to us a lot is we we show up on those fire scenes um, to work it. Uh, again, with in this case with with both the PD and and Kansas City Fire, and people automatically assume, well, if everybody's here looking at this, it must have been a set fire. Um, that's certainly not the case, as as you guys all know. Um, there's a lot of things that can cause a fire in a church, and uh, there are a lot of people that go in and out of churches, and a lot of the structures are old and outdated and those sorts of things. But uh, yeah, there's there's there. Are, you know, churches are still, and houses of worship are still cornerstones of our community, and when one of those burns, um, you know, the, the community is entitled to the best of our ability for us to be able to tell them what happened, and certainly if one of them is set, for us to bring the person or the people that did it to justice. I remember then that when that came down the pike, too, was in the early 90s, Um there was a series of, of fires in churches down in, in south part of the country, Florida. That's right. Yeah. And it was a transient, wasn't it? Um, you know, I don't I don't know. I I think that's correct, but I, I um you know, it was those incidents that led to mm-hmm. that to Congress passing uh and get, and authorizing us to do those investigations. And there's you know, through the years unfortunately the South has has sort of paid a heavy toll in church fires. And uh, it's still something that you'll have a, a serial uh, arsonist that targets churches for one reason or another. Um, certainly not not often, but it's uh, it's more than an occasional thing. Right, right. And I do remember that. And I think it was a, a transient was one of them, and and it was. Uh, but the the concern was, and and needs to be always. It was uh, racially and religious. And because I think a lot of the churches were particular religions in certain areas. Sure, sure. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the ATF, uh, the ATF and the IAAI, we have a, um, the IAAI developed a church fire program uh, that we were doing um, uh, education for churches and public groups and uh, things of that nature about church fires, how to prevent them, make it a little bit harder target uh, than there were. Uh, a lot of the churches, uh, because of these incidents, have, uh, have now uh, unfortunately had to lock their doors or put on certain codes that you have to get into. And in the, the old days, you could walk into a church anytime and pray, and not anymore. No, nope. um, and, nope. uh, and it's too it's too bad. It's too sad. And uh, but anyway, so um, wait, go ahead. I I, I was sitting here thinking and. Um, over the pl- the past 25 plus years and just what I've witnessed with my own eyes, I want to ask each of you, what do you find is the most difficult part current day in fire investigation, David? Well, that's, it's, it's the, the cause of, you know, trying to determine what happens in these buildings because you have so many things like, like John has hit on, you have the, terrorism portion that you have to you have to eliminate that there's so many things that make it so difficult anymore that you have to eliminate Mm -hmm. to get down to the basically boil it down to get to the point and cause and origin of the fire it's it's all those variables that and and it depends on what the what the content says and what and what kind of chemicals they have on site and what and then uh, the configuration of the fuel uh, it also will make a difference on yes, the fire spread. So we have to understand that, and, and that's where we do it as a joint uh, effort. Well, to add on to what David said, all the things taken into account for 
the simplest things that could have been prevented. You know, leaving an unattended fire, a candle, electrical, whatever. You see so many uh, fatalities where it just could have been prevented. It wasn't arson. It wasn't suspicious. It was just an accidental fire. And I think it's great that we continue to educate folks. Common sense stuff. Uh, you know, not be forgetful of things. It can save your life. Right, and that's one of the reasons we started this show. Don and I started the show mm-hmm. was for fire prevention and in, uh, and in arson deterrence. And uh, we've talked a lot about arson today, but we're really not just arson investigators. Even though it's called the International Association of Arson Investigators, we're actually fire investigators. We go out there and most of the fires we investigate are not, are not arson fires, are not set fires, and arson is a legal term anyway. And, and I think John said it pretty clearly. A lot of, I bet you keep statistics, don't you, John, on the ATF about how many fires that they investigate and how many are set and how many are just something else. Well, sure. Uh, you know, we keep we keep statistics on that, and and then the number. You know, I, uh, there's no secret to to anybody on this show. Uh, arson's not the easiest thing to prove, and mm-hmm. um, so again, when we all work together, uh, I think that uh, that the numbers would indicate that that we have that we have good success there. And I'll tell you, coming back to that to that question, I think one of the things that has changed fire investigation, uh, particularly from the from the public communication side of fire investigation, everything now happens in a in a tweet or in a you know we're, we we want to know we need to know right now. And fire investigation doesn't work that way. You know, oftentimes it takes us uh, it takes some time to do it the way that it that it needs to be done. Uh, it's very meticulous work, oftentimes. And so I think that there is some pressure on on all fire investigators. To you know, there's there's that constant media pressure of well, what caused it, what caused it, what caused it, um, and we just have to guard against you know when we know and we're certain, then then that's when that information comes out. Right, and I I appreciate that, and it's exactly right because there's so many different things to analyze. I mean, think about it. Even if you had had a problem with your car. They have, a, they have a, a computer in there, but you have to go, you have to get it, you have to download it, you've got to look at the information. Well, in a fire investigation, it's, there's a whole bunch of variables that you have to go through, look at, test, uh, find out, bring in engineers, whoever it is. What? And, uh, and you know what, I got something to ask you because, uh, Brian, I know that you really wanted to talk about this because uh, you're not just, uh, you're just not a pretty face. You're, you're, you actually want to do something <laughs> good for other people. What do you do in your, uh, your, your uh, off time that you like to promote? <clears throat> well, I enjoy riding my motorcycle. Yes. Uh, I'm a big motorcycle person. I love sports, particularly NASCAR. Oh, huge no. NASCAR. Can you hear? <laughs> I, keep my, I keep my ears covered. Uh, of course, I'm a Chiefs Royals fan, and I'm a Rock Chalk Jayhawk fan, so I hope oh. that doesn't offend some of your listeners. Well, it certainly will, but not me, because I come from St. Louis U, and nobody knows what a Billiken is. I do. They have a great basketball team. They do, don't they? <laughs> they the first forward pass in football was thrown by the St. Louis University football team and immediately they disbanded them. I don't know why they did that. Somebody likes to work with Crime Stoppers. Who is that? I uh, I think Crime Stoppers is a, a great tool. 
Um, we need the public's help uh, as much as we can get for information, uh, particularly arson or any other crime they might have. Uh, it's anonymous. Uh, you can be rewarded for your information. Uh, if you have any information on fires, arsons, or uh, any other crime, please call the TIPS hotline. Uh, I think it's a great tool. I have personal experience with it. Uh, one in the arson investigation and the past investigations that I've been involved with, uh, the public's been their key to helping us with the with these crimes. That's great. I appreciate that. And and yes, and let, if you see something, say something. Okay, that's that's really it. Well, I want to thank you guys, David. Thank you for being You're quite here, welcome. sir. Uh, 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 John, out there in the hinterlands, thank you for for joining us. Thank you. We, okay, and then of course Brian, thank you. And one more thing is, uh, as uh, I appreciate your being here, and I also appreciate your wanting to walk towards those things and not away from them, <laughs> the bombs. And uh, how long have you been in counseling? Uh, <laughs> and I was going to say, the suit looks good on you, though. Yes, yes, it looks good on it you. Is, it has a slimming factor. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, guys. And, and uh, okay, so next week, we're it's going to be July 5th, and uh, and uh, we actually believe in holidays in, in the United States and stuff. So next week, we're going to have uh, a rebroadcast of our show with Rabbi uh, uh, Glazer. And uh, they're going to talk about uh, how to handle grief in, uh, in deaths. Um, and we appreciate your being there. And, and uh, that's, uh, he's actually, it's not a terribly somber show. It's, uh, it's handling grief properly and, and with a little humor. Um, not, not that it's funny, but uh, we appreciate your being there. And when you come back, come back to... Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.